Welcome to the LA Public Health Podcast for Friday, November 13th, 2020. I'm Steve Baldwin, and today's show covers yesterday's press briefing, that was Thursday, November the 12th, on COVID-19, including an introduction from LA County Board of Supervisors Chair Catherine Barger, followed by an update from Dr. Barbara Ferrer, Director of the Los Angeles County Department of Public Health, on LA County's current numbers and metrics in the state's tiered system, and recommendations to slow the spread of COVID-19. Thank you for listening, and to keep up with our department on social media, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, at LA Public Health, or visit our website, publichealth.lacounty.gov. And now, here's Supervisor Barger. Thank you. Hello and good afternoon. Thank you for joining us for today's press briefing. I'm Supervisor Catherine Barger, Chair of the Los Angeles County Board of Supervisors. Dr. Barbara Ferrer, the Los Angeles County Public Health Director, is here with an update on the latest COVID-19 case counts and trends. Dr. Christina Galley, Director of the Department of Health Services, is also here to provide an update on modeling projections and our current hospitalizations. Before we begin, I would like to take a moment to honor, in honor of Veterans Day, yesterday to recognize those who have served our nation. The debt we owe our veterans and their families is one that we can never repay and one we can never forget. We honor and celebrate our veterans for everything they contribute to their families, workplaces, neighborhoods here in Los Angeles County. One of the many ways that we try to support our veterans and their loved one is through enhanced mental health programs led by the Department of Mental Health in partnership with the Department of Military and Veterans Affairs. We have developed the Veterans Mental Health Evaluation Team, which partners with mental health experts and with law enforcement to help work with individuals in real time. We've also created the Veterans Peer Access Network to help maximize the resources available to veterans, service members, and to their families. During COVID-19, we have seen an increase in the need for mental health services, not just for our veterans, but for all of our residents in Los Angeles County. We continue to struggle with isolation, anxiety, and many other issues. The Los Angeles County Department of Mental Health has a 24-7 helpline available by calling 800-854-7771 and is available to provide mental health support, resources, and any referrals you may need. We've also partnered with Headspace to offer a collection of mindfulness, mindless, mindfulness and meditation resources for free to all of our Los Angeles County residents. For more information on Headspace or any of these programs and, men, and many others that are available, please visit the Department of Mental Health website at dmh.lacounty.gov or you can visit the county COVID resource page at covid19.lacounty.gov. Providing expansive, timely resources to our residents is a top priority. Since the spring, Los Angeles County has received $1.2 billion from the federal government through CARES Act funding. We are using these critical resources to support health and well-being of our residents and communities through a wide range of initiatives. These efforts include diagnostic testing, contact tracing, food distribution, rent relief for businesses and for tenants, business support, and technology investments to bridge the digital divide. Last week, I joined Palmdale School District to distribute much-needed iPads and Chromebooks to students at Buena Vista Elementary School. These were some of the uh, devices that the board allocated through the Los Angeles County Office of Education to help students connect, learn, 
and to grow. During phase one of the distribution, the students throughout the county, uh, we have delivered 21,000 hotspots, 4,700 iPads, and 22,000 Chromebooks. The county recognizes these are valuable resources to support our children and their families in need of quality learning tools. Presently, 1,500 schools have reopened or are in the process of reopening to be able to provide critical in-person instruction serving a total of 75,000 vulnerable students who are considered high need. In addition, the Department of Public Health has approved waivers for 74 schools to begin in-person instruction for children in transitional kindergarten through second grade, serving a total of 8,000 students. Earlier this week, Dr. Ferrer and the Superintendent of Los Angeles County Office of Education, Dr. Deborah Duardo, hosted a town hall for parents and provided the opportunity to answer questions about COVID-19 and the reopening of the schools. More than 7,000 parents participated in the event and nearly 2,000 questions were submitted. I know many parents are anxious and eagerly waiting information about when their schools will reopen and when children can return to in-person learning. Many thanks to the Department of Public Health and the Office of Education for engaging parents in this important discussion to discuss our plans moving forward. Thank you to all of you for your continued support and collaborated efforts to keep Los Angeles safe and to help slow the spread. With that, I would like to invite Dr. Barbara Ferrer to share today's update. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much, Supervisor Barger, and to the entire Board of Supervisors. Uh, your leadership through these challenging times supports a multifaceted, multi-department response that prioritizes the health and well-being and safety of all our communities. I also want to extend my thanks and deep appreciation to all of our veterans for their courage, commitment, and service. We owe you all a debt of gratitude and are committed to partnering with others to ensure that every single veteran has all that they need uh, for services and support. Uh, today, I'll begin with an update on our current numbers and our metrics in the state's tiered system, as well as the key indicators that mark our progress trying to slow the spread of COVID-19 across the entire county. I also want to share with you some learnings from LA County's July surge in cases, hospitalizations, and deaths, and how that may inform our understanding of our current surge in cases. I will close with an update on school reopenings and our efforts to support creating safety at our schools. Now to update you on our current status, I am sad to report an additional seven people have passed away. Two of the people who passed away are over the age of 80, and one person who passed away in this age group had underlying health conditions. Two people who died are between the ages of 65 and 79, and both people in this age group had underlying health conditions. One person who passed away is between the ages of 50 and 64, and none of the people in this age group had underlying health conditions. Information on the two deaths reported by the City of Long Beach is available at longbeach.gov. Of the five newly reported deaths today, excluding the deaths in Long Beach, one person was a resident residing in our skilled nursing facilities. This unfortunately brings the total number of deaths to 7,221 in LA County. To everyone who's mourning the loss of a loved one or a friend, 
who has passed away from COVID-19. You're in our thoughts and we wish you healing and peace. For the 6,810 people who have passed away where race ethnicity has been identified, the, these, uh, the race and ethnic breakdown remains the same. 52% are Latina, Latino, Latinx, 23% are white, 14% are Asian, 10% are black, slightly less than 1% are Native Hawaiian, Pacific Islander, and 1% identified with another race or ethnicity. We are reporting 2,533 new cases today. And this does bring the total number of cases in LA County to 330,450. These cases include 13,967 total cases reported by our partners in the city of Long Beach and 3,008 cases reported by the city of Pasadena. We're also reporting a total of 2,146 confirmed cases amongst people experiencing homelessness. There are now 953 people currently hospitalized with COVID-19. 28% of the people who are hospitalized are in the ICU and 14% are on ventilators. We've investigated a total of 2,316 residential congregate settings and non-residential settings with at least one confirmed case of COVID-19. Currently, we have ongoing investigations at 434 sites, and we've closed 1,882 investigations. Uh, we also have three investigations right now that average about 100 uh, cases at each one of the sites. These are three manufacturing plants. The total confirmed cases in institutional settings is 39,173. And this includes 19,336 cases amongst residents and 19,837 cases among staff. We're reporting 4,010 confirmed cases at some point in the jail facilities. 3,498 are among people who are incarcerated and 512 are among staff. There are 262 cases in the state prison 193 among people who are incarcerated, and 69 among staff. And there are 760 cases in the federal prison facilities, 743 among people who are incarcerated, and 17 among staff. There's 177 cases in juvenile facilities, slight increase from last week, 83 among youth, and 94 among staff. To date, over 3.3 million people have been tested and had test results reported in LA County, and the cumulative positivity rate remains at 9%. I'll take the first slide, please. Uh, every week, uh, the state updates LA County's current status in the blueprint for a safer economy on their tiered framework. This framework places counties in one of four tiers, depending on the three metrics for ensuring for measuring the level of community transmission. Where LA County falls on this framework determines in large part the options that are available for progressing on our recovery journey, as the state clearly defines what activities are permitted in each tier. This slide shows you the metric thresholds that are set by the state to determine when counties can move from one tier to another. We'll take the next slide. LA County continues to be in tier one, 
with widespread community transmission. Data that's used to determine our metrics was collected uh, during uh, our metrics for this week was collected for the week that ended October 31st. Our adjusted case rate increased slightly from last week, and it's now at 7.6 new cases per 100,000 people. Our case rate continues to be the reason why we remain in this most restrictive purple tier. Our positivity rate remains within the tier three threshold at 3.8%. Uh, our positivity rate in LA County's lowest resourced areas decreased slightly from last week, uh, where it was at 6.8%, and now it's at 6.5%. And we continue to be within tier two uh, range for this metric. As a reminder, the state does place you in the most restrictive tier when all your metrics are not aligned in just one tier. And unfortunately, with the recent surge in cases, we can anticipate remaining in tier one for the next few weeks. I don't think this is where any of us anticipated being as we head into the fall and winter. It isn't just that our recovery journey is stalled. It's also that we now have very tough choices in front of us as we head into Thanksgiving and the winter holidays. We'll take the next slide. As we review the four metrics we monitor closely to understand COVID-19 transmission across our county, we're able to see the impact of our recent actions. This slide shows the seven-day average daily number of COVID-19 cases by what we call the episode date. And as a reminder, the episode date is the date a person took a test or first experienced COVID-19 symptoms. As you could see on this graph, we are now seeing a consistent and significant increase in new daily cases. This increase does coincide with reopening some sectors. It also coincides with several large outbreaks that are happening at work sites, as well as a significant increase in LA County residents that are reporting that they've attended gatherings and have been in close contact with people from outside their household. Circumstances that we all know put people at greater risk of being exposed to COVID-19. On November 3rd, the average number of daily cases was 1,464. Just one month before, on October 3rd, that number was 988. Simply put, this is more than a 33% increase in daily cases and we have seen no recent signs of any decreases in our case numbers. The next slide. This slide shows our test positivity rate or the percentage of tests that are, that are done and come back positive. As you can see, our positivity rate is also increasing. On November 3rd, the positivity rate for LA County was 4.4%, and that's compared to 3.6% a month earlier on October 3rd. And again, our, our preliminary numbers for the first week in November show additional test positivity rate increases. Today, the test positivity rate is now 5.9%. Increasing daily case numbers and increasing test positivity percents are deeply troubling and more evidence that we are seeing increasing community transmission. Next slide, please. We continue to monitor the daily number of people with COVID-19 that are hospitalized so we can understand the impact of the virus on the healthcare system and track the number of people who have become seriously ill. 
This graph shows the daily number of hospitalized COVID-19 patients, and it includes hospitalizations from all across the county. As you can see, after a long period of stabilization, hospitalizations are now also on the rise. On October 3rd, an average of 682 people were hospitalized. We haven't seen average hospitalizations above 800 since September 11th, but this past week, we're reporting multiple days with hospitalizations over 900. Next slide, please. We continue to report a decrease in daily deaths from COVID-19, and we are relieved to we continue not to see a huge uh, increase here. On November 2nd, the average number of deaths per day was 10. This is the lowest number that we have seen since the very early days of the pandemic. The, unfortunately, the continued decrease in deaths is likely to not continue since we know that increases in cases and hospitalizations will actually influence uh, the number of deaths we experience in, here in the county and that it is likely in the weeks to come that our numbers of deaths will increase as well. Next slide, please. Uh, with months of experience addressing the pandemic, we can look at the recent past to better understand what we may expect to see during our most current surge. This slide shows a timeline of the summer surge that resulted in many people becoming seriously ill and some passing away. On May 28th, we began to see an increase in cases, which at the time we did not yet understand would be the start of a steep increase in cases over the next month. 21 days later, on June 18th, hospitalizations began to increase, and 12 days after that, we started to see an increase in deaths. Cases, hospitalizations, and deaths all reached their peak within two weeks of each other, from mid to late July. After businesses reclosed in late June through mid-July, cases started declining and hit their lowest level on September 10th. But it took an additional three weeks to see hospitalizations and deaths hit their lowest levels on the with the post-surge. This information should help remind us that we most likely haven't yet seen the full consequence of the surge in cases we recently experienced. And while we've made impressive strides in caring for people who are ill with the virus, this much of an increase in cases may very well result in tremendous suffering and tragic deaths down the road. What is equally important to remember is that we can turn this around so that we get back to slowing the spread. In order to avoid increasing rates of illness and death, stressing our healthcare system, and stalling our recovery, we all need to act now. The actions we take today, tomorrow, and next week have tremendous impact on the health and well-being of many, many people across the county. If collectively we fail to stop the acceleration of new cases, we will have no choice but to look at additional actions. All around the country, elected officials and public health leaders are introducing new requirements to protect healthcare systems from becoming overwhelmed. We've been there before, just four months ago, and we worked really hard to get ourselves back to a place where our health was protected and our recovery journey could continue. And I know none of us wants to step back, 
which leaves us with one option, and that is to make good choices that reflect the reality of living during a pandemic. When you're out and you're around others, always wear a cloth face covering and keep physical distance of at least six feet from people who aren't in your household. Avoid crowds and large gatherings. If you're feeling sick, stay home and stay away from other people. Get tested for COVID-19 if you have symptoms. If you've tested positive, isolate for 10 days and 24 hours after fever and symptoms subside. If you've been in close contact of someone who's positive or you've been in a crowd or gathering where it's possible you were exposed, quarantine for 14 days. You can also get tested, but the strategy is to quarantine for 14 days to make sure that you do not become a virus spreader. Don't rely on testing to protect you or those you love from getting infected. We've seen example after example where testing, particularly when it's not accompanied by basic public health actions, doesn't prevent people from transmitting and acquiring the virus. We hear from people who tell us that they are gonna go to a party this weekend and now they're all gonna go get tested today uh, so that they'll be able to go to the party. That strategy doesn't work. When you test today and you are negative today, you're only negative today. Your actions on the weekend uh, really uh, offer nobody around you any protection from the fact that you may have converted and become positive and are able to spread the, and are able to spread the virus. This is gonna be particularly important as we plan to celebrate the Thanksgiving holiday. You can host or attend gatherings with two other households as long as you're able to stay outside. Keep your distance, and when not eating or drinking, you wear your face covering over your nose and your mouth. If you're traveling out of state, please pay attention to the many restrictions other states have introduced to limit travel and limit transmission. Public health does recommend that those who travel out of state quarantine for 14 days once you return to our county. None of this is easy, but it's all doable. These sacrifices help us get our children back to schools and keep our businesses open. Please choose to be part of the solution because it's gonna take all of us to avoid increased heartbreak. I also wanna close uh, with uh, an update on the number of schools that are open for high need students and those that have applied for waivers. As you remember, as you may remember, all schools across the county are able to open their campuses for the following. Childcare with an appropriate state license or state waiver, teachers and staff that are conducting distance learning and performing essential operations, youth sports for outside conditioning and skill building, and support and services for individual and or cohorted groups of high need students, as long as it doesn't exceed 25% of the student body population. In addition, schools can apply for a waiver to reopen for on-site learning for students in grades TK through two. And as Supervisor uh, Barger mentioned, 50 schools can be approved for waivers each week now. And those schools with high percentages of students eligible for free and reduced meals are prioritized. All schools that reopen must adhere to the DPH reopening protocols and these require an, uh, that schools provide enhanced cleaning and infection control practices. There's distancing, masking, and cohorting. DPH staff do visit every single school 
that's reopened to ensure fidelity to the reopening directives and to provide technical assistance. We are proud to report that over half of the schools are in full compliance with the reopening protocols. 84% of the schools are in good compliance, and that means that there are over 92% of schools that are at this point compliant with the reopening protocols. We work with all the other schools to make sure that they have the support they need to come into full compliance. As of November 9th, 1,571 schools have reopened for on-site learning for high-needs students. 12% of these schools are private schools, 15% are charter schools, and 73% are public schools. Over 75,000 students and 30,000 staff have returned for on-site services and support. As in any other sector that's open, given the widespread transmission of COVID-19, there will be and are cases at school sites. And while there have been about 150 cases reported among students or staff attending schools, there have only been 12 outbreaks associated with school sites. And at uh, 11 of these sites, these outbreaks involve less than four people, and they were primarily among staff. The one site with a larger outbreak was related to a sports team that had traveled to Arizona to play in a competition. All schools with cases and outbreaks are working closely with public health to ensure appropriate disease management and contact tracing. And in accordance with the health officer orders, people who are positive are isolated from all others for at least 10 days, and their close contacts are required to quarantine for 14 days. In addition, we've received 238 school waiver applications to reopen on-site learning for grades TK through 2. 150 applications were received from private schools, six from charter schools, and 81 applications from public schools. To date, we've issued 74 approvals, and we have 81 in the pipeline for final approval later this week or early next week. As a reminder, once an application is complete, it takes us two weeks, two to three weeks, to get it through our system and the conference that's required with the state. And thank you. And now Dr. Galley will provide us with updates from the Department of Health Services. Hi, good afternoon. As Dr. Ferrer just provided some detail on, we are seeing a rapid increase in our community COVID-19 transmission as evidenced by an increase in the number of COVID-19 cases. I will provide today an update on the hospital bed demand model as we are also seeing an accompanying increase in the hospitalization rates across the county. If you could turn on the first slide. First, let's focus on the change in the estimated R or the rate of transmission. This slide shows how R has changed over the course of the pandemic. Specifically, several times now, we've seen how R rises and falls over time, and that's what we're seeing again, most recently with the gradual but steady increase in R since late August or early September. Remember, if R is above one, then the number of cases will gradually increase over time because for each infection, they are infecting one or more than one person on average. 
For this model, we calculate R, remember, based on the rate of new hospitalizations from COVID-19. It's not based on a calculation from overall COVID-19 cases across the entire community, which are the numbers that Dr. Ferrer just walked us through. So on the next slide, then, we'll look at the hospitalization rates in the county. On the next slide, this is the slide from last week. It shows a gradual but consistent increase in new daily hospitalizations. And then on the next slide, this is now where we're at this week. You can see that the bands of uncertainty, that red and pink shaded region, reflects an increase in the likelihood of having more hospitalizations over the next four weeks. While this change is notable and while it is expected to continue to rise, just as it did even this morning, we aren't yet seeing that sharp increase in hospitalizations that we're seeing in the COVID case numbers. Remember, there's a few reasons for this. First, it does seem that transmission is increasing among a community of individuals that may be somewhat less likely to require hospitalization. Whether they're slightly younger or they have fewer underlying health conditions, there can be a variety of reasons for this. This doesn't, though, mean that people cannot still have very serious conditions and complications of COVID. Many people do still require hospitalization, and even among those who don't require hospitalization, we're finding that many people have long-term sequelae of their condition with COVID, with long-term symptoms that are lasting with them for many weeks or even months. Second, we're seeing a decrease in the length of stay for those who are hospitalized with COVID compared to what we were experiencing earlier in the pandemic. So even among those who do require hospitalization, who are sick enough to need to be admitted to the hospital, they're typically not staying in the hospital for quite as long. There's a couple of reasons for this. First, again, it could be possible that this is slightly because the the individuals being admitted are somewhat younger and have fewer underlying health conditions. And as a result, even when they are sick enough to require hospitalization, they don't need to be there quite as long. Similarly, we're also having greater impact and ability to be able to treat people with COVID for those who do require hospitalization. In the beginning of the pandemic, there were no approved treatments for COVID. But since midsummer, there's been a couple of approved treatments recognized by the FDA so that we can be able to treat patients more effectively with COVID, specifically remdesivir, which has been shown to decrease the duration of symptoms, especially for those who require supplemental oxygen but do not require mechanical ventilation, and also dexamethasone, which is a steroid and has been shown in some studies to help out the sickest patients and improve survival. Finally, though, most critically, that difference between the rate of rise of the cases and the hospitalizations, as Dr. Ferrer just walked through, is most certainly because of that continued lag in hospitalizations behind cases. As was just discussed a few minutes ago, there is consistently a two to three week lag between the onset of the increase in hospitalizations or that peak in the hospitalization rate and the peak in the overall COVID-19 case rate. Once a person is infected, again, it takes about, on average, two to three weeks or so before they're sick enough to need to be admitted to the hospital. As a result, as we continue to see these numbers climb, we will not be expected to see the full impact in terms of hospitalizations for another week or two. 
So then let's turn to the next slide. This shows what the current estimated impact is on utilization of overall hospital beds in the county. And while we do project that it will continue to rise, based on the projected numbers, the current and available number of hospital beds within the county, including medical surgical beds, as well as ICU beds and ventilators, is expected to be adequate over the next four weeks. With that in mind, I want to be clear that we're very much still seeing a surge in cases. We should not become complacent, should not believe that just because the hospitals are not overwhelmed at this point in time, that the spread of COVID within our communities is not real. It most certainly is. I'll conclude with a brief set of comments on community-based testing. As transmission leveled off over the past couple of months from the peaks that we saw in July, overall testing rates remain, testing capacity in the community remained sufficient. As of last week, still, about a third of the county's directly operated COVID testing sites slots remained unfilled. Over the past couple of days, though, we've started to see more of an uptick in the demand for testing at some of the county-operated testing sites, and we've added capacity where needed. Specifically last week, we added capacity at Panorama City, and then yesterday we added a total of 500 slots, 100 at each of five sites, at the Pomona Fairplex, the Forum, College of the Canyons in Santa Clarita, Palmdale, and the Beach Cities. This means a few things. First, testing is available for those who need it, especially in our most vulnerable communities. Because we currently have sufficient testing and because of the importance of testing as one component of the state's reopening plan, we do want to encourage people who have a reason to be tested to seek testing, whether that's with your established healthcare provider or your system or at one of the county or city or other directly operated testing sites that are available across the breadth of the county. Testing slots are available for all of those individuals who are, have symptoms of COVID, for essential workers, and for people who are close contacts of confirmed cases. Other individuals who don't have symptoms but have reason to believe that they might have been exposed to someone with COVID should also consider getting tested. However, please remember that there are some caveats to keep in mind. First, it takes, remember, at least two days and often much longer, up to 14 days, for the virus to incubate and become detectable with a COVID-19 PCR test. So as hard as it can be during the holidays, it's important to quarantine if you've been exposed, to stay home, and to avoid contact with others. And it's important to do that for the full 14 days of the quarantine period. This is true even if you choose to get a test and that test is negative. Just as Dr. Freer just explained, a test really only indicates what your COVID status is on the day the test was taken. It doesn't mean anything about what your COVID status is on the next day when your results come back or the day after that or at any point over that two-week quarantine period. Testing is helpful after an exposure or if you have symptoms, but it should not be used as a free pass to gather with others or to not follow the basic core public health measures that are essential to keeping us all healthy. The good news is that there is some positive news on the horizon. As been widely shared earlier this week, Pfizer vaccine interim data results indicate that they have about 90% efficacy based on early results. 
But until this and other vaccines are available for use, and especially as we see the surge in cases that's around us now, we need to continue the core public health practices that we know can reduce the spread of COVID-19. These practices are not what holds us back. They are not what limits our ability to reopen our schools and our businesses. Quite to the contrary, they are what helps us continue on the path to recovery, on the path to reopening, on the ability to get back to work, back to school, back to the businesses and activities that we all enjoy so much. So as hard as it is, and as long as I know it seems like we've been at this, please wear your mask, wash your hands, keep your distance from others, and limit your interaction with those outside your household. And I'll close with just offering a very, very happy Veterans Day for all those who selflessly served in our military. We are all deeply grateful for your service. We'll now take questions. As a reminder, for questions over the phone, can you press one and then zero? Our first phone question is from the line of Ron Lynn with the LA Times. Please go ahead. Hi, Dr. Ferrer. Thanks again for chatting with us. It's so helpful for our understanding and communicating what's going on in this difficult time. I have several related questions for you. Unfortunately, I'm hearing about some people determined to hold their typical Thanksgiving gatherings indoors and in tight quarters or thinking that things like testing ahead of the holiday offers them a free path to do whatever they want. Given that LA County is already in the most restrictive purple tier status, what kinds of additional closures do you think might be necessary to avoid the kind of catastrophe that we saw in the summer? For Thanksgiving, would you urge that college students not fly home from college or other guests travel long distances for the holiday? But if they're going to do it anyway, what would you recommend they do when staying for several days at home? And finally, when you suggest that LA County residents quarantining for 14 days, quarantine for 14 days when returning to California, would you make the same request of college students returning home and visitors flying here? And when you say quarantine, do you mean that people shouldn't even go out to the grocery store, pick up takeout food, or go out for exercise? Thank you. Uh, thanks a lot. A lot of questions. I'll, I'll try to make sure I get them all. Uh, so I think Thanksgiving gathering. Um, you know, everyone has to make choices right now, and that's what I said. You know, we're headed into hard times. Uh, but we have an opportunity to, to make sure that these times aren't as hard as they may be if we make good choices, and they're hard choices. Uh, I'm, I'm in one of those people. I'm, I'm not driving to go see my grandkids uh, over the holiday. They live in a different state. Uh, their state has a lot of uh, cases. Our state has a lot of cases. Just not a good idea. Uh, and I'll be really sad about this. Um, you know, like all of you, I wish things were really different, uh, but they're not. Um, and my feeling is I don't want to be uh, one of the people that's contributing uh, to not only um, increasing cases that restrict our ability to continue with our recovery journey, but increasing cases that could result in other people getting sick and even dying. So I think everyone needs to do what I'm doing. We need to look at, at what's in front of us. We need to know that this is time limited. This pandemic is not going to go on forever. Uh, as Dr. Galley pointed out, we have good news on the vaccine front, uh, but we've got to get through the next few months, and we've got to do so without spreading this virus even more than it's spreading now. Uh, so, yes, I, I want everyone to think hard about their Thanksgiving plans. 
We issue this guidance because it is what will keep most people as safe as possible, and that means staying outside. Uh, this is certainly uh, harder to do in colder weather, but not impossible, and now is time to make the plans. If you're going to have people not from your household with you, uh, move that uh, gathering outdoors. And I think these are good questions about college students. Uh, and we've talked with some universities about the guidance around this. Obviously, uh, the preference is for people not to be flying home for the holidays, for students or for others uh, at this point in time, especially because we are not the only place that is seeing a huge surge in cases. Uh, this is happening across the country. Uh, so if you are going, if you decide you are going home, I know some colleges are then recommending that you stay home and do the rest of your semester remotely from your home so that you're not really exposing lots more people when you come back here uh, to, to finish out uh, the semester. Uh, and again, uh, this issue around quarantining, it is a good recommendation. It really does say uh, when you've traveled, and that would include students and all of the rest of us, uh, if you are going to travel, uh, which we're recommending you not do, we're actually recommending this Thanksgiving be a stay-at-home Thanksgiving, but if you are going to travel, we do ask when you come back that you quarantine for 14 days. And the tighter you can restrict your activities over those 14 days, the better off we all are. So yes, it doesn't mean like going to your grocery store. It doesn't mean, um, you know, gathering with others, you know, just outside. It really means restricting your interactions with other people. Obviously, you can go out by yourself and take a walk. Uh, we don't have a problem with that, as long as you're really not going to be in contact uh, with anybody else. You can order, you know, food to be delivered. I think that's perfectly appropriate and the best thing to do. Uh, but no, we don't want you going to restaurants and sitting and eating outside, and we don't want you going into retail establishments either uh, when we've asked you to quarantine. Uh, and I thank you for those questions. We'll go on to the next question. That question comes from Claudia Pesciuda with KNX News Radio. Please go ahead. Hi, I also have uh, a couple of questions. Uh, so, first of all, uh, what is the current average hospital stay? Um, and uh, also, if we could get an update on the Dodgers outbreak. Um, and Dr. Ferrer, if you could, I mean, not doctor, sorry. Um, if you could weigh in on the fact that California today uh, likely will break uh, 1 million cases and that, you know, the fact that L.A. County accounts for many of those cases. Thank you. Um, Dr. Scalia's uh, average uh, hospital stay, not space. What is the average hospital stay? Hi, I think you're referring to the average length of stay in the hospitals, uh, if I'm interpreting your question correctly. Uh, it's varied over the course of the pandemic. Initially, it was around about 10 days on average, and currently we're seeing it now down closer to about seven or eight days on average. Yeah, thank you. Um, I think the update on the Dodgers is that they are a total of six cases now uh, associated uh, with uh, the Dodgers team. It's uh, some are on staff, some, as you know, uh, one is on a you know with a player and other members uh, who were there at the World Series. I want to thank the Dodgers for all their cooperation with us. 
Uh, we're doing a really good job on all the contact tracing and getting a lot of cooperation uh, from everyone uh, who had an exposure there. And, and uh, we're pleased uh, with that level of cooperation. It does allow us, as you can see, to limit uh, the, uh, the extent of this outbreak. And I, I want to thank everyone for helping us with that. Uh, and then, yes, you know, sad day here in California. You know, I, I think you're right. Uh, it's likely we might break one million cases today. Uh, L.A. County, uh, as the largest county, obviously contributes uh, to a lot of the cases. Uh, other counties, unfortunately, uh, also are seeing, similar to what we're seeing, an acceleration uh, in the number of cases uh, in their counties as well. I think we're all, uh, for the whole state, every single county, every single public health director is, is asking uh, for the same. Uh, we have to get this back under control. We know what, the, what we can do. We have the tools to do it. Uh, and then we're just going to go ahead and uh, start working on that. Uh, we'll, take another, we'll take the next question. Thank you. That comes from Joel Grover with NBC4. Your line is open. Yes. Hi, doctor. Um, I have two quick questions about gyms. Um, we are aware of some gyms that continue to operate indoors, even though the state and county issued orders months ago to close. What do you have to say to gyms that are still violating the closure orders? And a second part of that is we've noticed some gyms were cited by the county, remained open, were cited again and again, and still didn't close. And the second part of the question is, does the county need bigger fines to discourage gyms from staying open? It's really frustrating, and, and to be honest, it's very irresponsible. Uh, you know, the, 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 the protocol is there because it makes sense. And operating indoors increases the risk. If, if you look around the country, you'll see that one of the first place uh, first places that other states and other jurisdictions close down are their gyms that are operating indoors. We're in the middle of a surge, and you're right. Uh, there's a handful of gyms in this county that continue to violate the health officer order. And it is just a handful. So I want to thank all of the gyms and fitness centers that are actually uh, adhering to the guidance and have moved their operations outdoors. Uh, that's what's most important. And if you're one of the gyms that uh, is not, uh, that is in violation, we will continue to issue uh, our fines. Uh, we, we will continue to come to your sites uh, and ask that uh, you close your indoor operations. Uh, and we also will be reviewing with the board uh, other legal actions that we can take. But this is not the way uh, for us to work together. So I want to thank everybody who is doing the right thing. And I want to ask those fitness centers uh, to please move their operations outdoors, particularly now uh, while we're in the middle of a surge. Uh, and with this, we will go ahead and move to uh, remarks in Spanish from Jackie Valenzuela. Buenas tardes. Hoy les daremos una actualización de nuestros números e indicadores uh, en el sistema de niveles del Estado. A la vez hablaremos sobre los indicadores que utilizamos para saber que también estamos frenando la propagación de COVID-19 en todo el condado de Los Ángeles. También queremos compartir con ustedes algunos, eh, algunas cosas que hemos aprendido durante los aumentos repentinos de casos o hospitalizaciones y fallecimientos en el condado de Los Ángeles en julio. 
y cómo todo esto puede llevarnos a comprender el aumento de los casos actuales. Por último, les daremos una actualización sobre las reaperturas de las escuelas y las medidas que estamos tomando uh, para apoyar la seguridad de nuestras escuelas. Ahora, para actualizarlo sobre nuestro estado actual, estamos tristes de reportar siete fallecimientos adicionales este día. Esto eleva el número total de muertes a 7,221 en el condado de Los Ángeles. Para las 6,810 personas que fallecieron donde se identificó la raza etnicidad, 52% son latinos, 23% son blancos, 14% son asiáticos, 10% son afroamericanos, menos de un por ciento son nativos de Hawái o de las Islas del Pacífico y un por ciento se identificó con otra raza de etnicidad. Hoy también reportamos 2,533 casos nuevos. Esto eleva el número total de casos en el condado a 330,450. También reportamos 2,146 casos confirmados entre personas sin hogar. 953 casos confirmados están hospitalizados actualmente. El 28% de estas personas están en unidades de cuidados intensivos y el 14% están en ventiladores. El total de casos confirmados en entornos institucionales es de 39,173, um, incluidos personal y residentes. 19,336 entre residentes y 19,837 entre el personal. También nos da tristeza informar que 3,072 residentes en entornos institucionales han muerto a causa de COVID-19. 2,719 de estas personas que murieron en entornos institucionales residían en centros de enfermería especializada. Estamos también reportando hoy 4,010 casos confirmados en algún momento en las instalaciones de la cárcel. Hay 262 casos en la prisión estatal, 760 casos en las prisiones federales y 177 casos en los centros de menores. Más de 3.3 millones de resultados de pruebas de COVID-19 se han reportado en el condado de Los Ángeles y el 9% dieron resultados positivos. First slide, please. Cada semana el estado actualiza el nivel actual en que se encuentra el condado de Los Ángeles dentro del plan para una economía más segura. Este marco coloca a los condados en uno de los cuatro niveles, uh, según los tres indicadores que miden el nivel de transmisión comunitaria. El nivel en que se encuentra el condado de Los Ángeles eh, determina en gran parte las opciones disponibles para avanzar en nuestro viaje hacia la recuperación, ya que el estado define eh, claramente qué actividades uh, se permiten en cada nivel. Ahora, este gráfico nos muestra los límites de los indicadores establecidos por el estado para determinar uh, cuándo los condados pueden pasar a un nivel nuevo. Next slide, please.
tasa de positividad en las áreas de menos recursos del condado de Los Ángeles también ha disminuido ligeramente con respecto a la semana pasada de 6.8% a 6.5% y nos mantiene, los mantenemos perdón, en el nivel 2 para este indicador. Como recordatorio, el estado nos coloca en el nivel más restrictivo cuando todos los indicadores no caen en un solo nivel. Desafortunadamente, con el reciente aumento de casos, anticipamos permanecer en el nivel 1 durante las próximas semanas. No creemos que es donde nosotros queríamos estar durante el otoño y al uh, invierno. No es solo que nuestro viaje hacia la recuperación está estancado, sino que también tenemos decisiones muy difíciles que tomar uh, en cuanto a las celebraciones del Día de Acción de Gracias y las celebraciones durante el invierno. Next slide, please. Al revisar los cuatro indicadores que observamos de cerca para entender la transmisión de COVID-19 en nuestra comunidad, podemos ver el impacto de nuestras acciones recientes. Este gráfico nos muestra el promedio de siete días del número diario de casos de COVID-19 por fecha de episodio. Cuando hablamos de la fecha de episodio, nos referimos a la fecha en que una persona se hizo una prueba y, o, o sintió síntomas de COVID-19 por primera vez. Como podemos ver, ahora estamos viendo un aumento uh, significativo, eh, consistente en nuevos casos diarios. Este aumento coincide con la reapertura de varios sectores, así como un aumento en los residentes del condado de Los Ángeles que informa que han asistido a reuniones y han estado en contacto cercano con personas fuera de su hogar. Uh, situaciones que ponen a las personas en mayor riesgo de estar expuestas a COVID-19. El 3 de noviembre, el promedio diario fue de 1,464 casos. El mes anterior, el 3 de octubre, ese número era de 988 casos. En pocas palabras, esto es un aumento del 33% en nuestros casos diarios sin ninguna señal de disminución en el número de casos desde principios de noviembre. Next slide, please. Este gráfico nos muestra el porcentaje de pruebas que se realizan y dan positivo. Como podemos ver, nuestra tasa de positividad también está aumentando. El 3 de noviembre, la tasa de positividad para el condado de Los Ángeles fue del 4.4% en comparación al 3 de octubre, que fue del 3.6%. Una vez más, las cifras preliminarias de la primera semana de noviembre muestran aumentos adicionales en la tasa de positividad de las pruebas. Hoy la tasa de positividad de la prueba es del 5.9%. El aumento del número de casos diarios y el aumento de los porcentajes de positividad de las pruebas son muy preocupantes y uh, es más evidencia del aumento de transmisión que estamos viendo dentro de nuestras comunidades. Next slide, please. Continuamos uh, observando de cerca la cantidad diaria de personas con COVID-19 que están hospitalizadas para comprender uh, el impacto que tiene este virus en el sistema de atención médica y a la vez poder rastrear la cantidad de personas que se han enfermado gravemente. 
Este gráfico muestra la cantidad diaria de pacientes con COVID-19 hospitalizados en el condado. Como pueden observar, después de un largo periodo de estabilización, las hospitalizaciones están aumentando. El 3 de octubre tuvimos un promedio de 682 personas hospitalizadas con COVID-19. Y luego el 3 de noviembre fueron hospitalizadas 813 personas. No hemos visto hospitalizaciones con un promedio por encima de 800 personas desde el 11 de septiembre. Eh, sin embargo, la semana pasada informamos por varios días consecutivos un promedio de 900 hospitalizaciones. Next slide, please. Eh, continuamos reportando una disminución en el número diario de fallecimientos por COVID-19. El 2 de noviembre, el número promedio fue de 10 fallecimientos por día. Este es el número más bajo que hemos visto desde los primeros días de la pandemia. Es probable que la continua disminución de los fallecimientos se deba en parte a, a las mejoras en el tratamiento para las personas que están gravemente enfermas por COVID-19. Al mismo tiempo, sabemos que con el aumento de casos y hospitalizaciones, es probable que las muertes también comiencen a aumentar en las próximas semanas. Next slide, please. Con los meses que llevamos de experiencia con esta pandemia, uh, podemos analizar el pasado para poder comprender mejor lo que podríamos ver durante nuestro aumento actual. Este gráfico muestra una época durante el verano donde vimos un aumento repentino que provocó que muchas personas se enfermaran gravemente y fallecieran. El 28 de mayo comenzamos a ver un aumento en los casos. Durante ese momento uh, aún no entendíamos si esto sería el comienzo de un fuerte aumento de casos uh, durante el próximo mes. 21 días después, el 18 de junio, las hospitalizaciones comenzaron a incrementar. 12 días después, comenzamos a ver un aumento en los fallecimientos. Luego, los casos, las hospitalizaciones y las muertes alcanzaron su punto máximo con dos semanas de diferencia entre cada uno, desde mediados hasta fines de julio. A medida que los negocios volvieron a cerrar a fines de junio hasta mediados de julio, los casos disminuyeron constantemente y alcanzaron su nivel más bajo el 10 de septiembre. Se necesitaron tres semanas adicionales eh, para ver que las hospitaliz hospitalizaciones y fallecimientos pudieran alcanzar uh, el punto más bajo en los niveles de la oleada. Esta información puede ayudarnos a recordar que lo más probable es que aún no hayamos visto todas las consecuencias del aumento en los casos que vemos recientemente. Y si bien hemos logrado grandes avances en la atención de personas enfermas con el virus, eh, este aumento significativo en los casos puede resultar en un tremendo sufrimiento y muerta, muertes trágicas. Por ello, es importante recordar que podemos darle la vuelta a esto para volver a frenar la propagación. Es decir, para evitar el aumento de las tasas de enfermedades y muertes y abrumar nuestro sistema de atención médica y estancar nuestra recuperación, tendríamos que actuar ahora. Las acciones que tomamos hoy, mañana y la próxima semana 
tienen un impacto tremendo en la salud y el bienestar de muchas personas en nuestro condado. Si colectivamente no logramos eh, detener el incremento de nuevos casos, no tendremos más remedio que considerar adici adicionales, uh, acciones adicionales. En todo el país, los funcionarios y los líderes de salud pública están estableciendo nuevos requisitos para evitar que el sistema de atención médica se vea abrumado. Estuvimos aquí hace solo cuatro meses y trabajamos muy duro para volver a una posición eh, donde nuestra salud estaba protegida y nuestro viaje hacia la recuperación podría continuar. Ninguno de nosotros quiere dar un paso atrás, cual solo nos deja la opción de tomar buenas decisiones que reflejan la realidad de vivir con una pandemia. Por ello, cuando salga de su casa y esté cerca de otras personas, use siempre una cubierta de tela para la cara y mantenga la distancia física de al menos de seis pies con las personas que no viven con usted. Evite las multitudes y las grandes reuniones. Si se siente enfermo, quédese en casa y manténgase alejado de las personas que corren un mayor riesgo de enfermarse gravemente por COVID-19. Además, hágase la prueba de COVID-19 si tiene síntomas. Si ha dado positivo, aíslese durante 10 días y 24 horas después de que la fiebre, perdón, que la fiebre y los síntomas uh, hayan desaparecido. Si ha estado en contacto cercano con alguien positivo o si ha estado en una multitud o en reuniones donde lo más seguro es que haya estado expuesto, pónganse en cuarentena por 14 días. Uh, también es importante acordarnos de que uh, de no depender de, de, la prueba, de que la prueba nos vaya a proteger a nosotros y a nuestros seres queridos de enfermarnos. Hemos visto ejemplo tras ejemplo donde hacerse la prueba y no tomar precauciones um, básicas no previene que las personas transmitan o se infecten con COVID-19. Esto es verdaderamente importante ahora que planeamos el Día de Acción de Gracias. Puede organizar o asistir a reuniones con otros dos lugares. Siempre que permanezca afuera, uh, mantenga el distanciamiento físico y use una cubierta de tela para la cara, excepto en el momento que esté comiendo o bebiendo. Sabemos que nada de esto es fácil, sino, pero sin embargo, todo es posible. Estos sacrificios nos ayudan a que nuestros hijos regresen a las escuelas y a, a que nuestros negocios permanezcan abiertos. Elija ser parte de la solución. Uh, nos va a tomar a todos nosotros para evitar mayor sufrimiento. Para finalizar, nos gustaría actualizarlos sobre la cantidad de escuelas abiertas para estudiantes con mayores necesidades y que solicitan permisos. Next slide, please. Como recordarán, todas las escuelas del condado pueden abrir uh, para el aprendizaje y servicios en persona uh, para cuidado de niños con la licencia estatal apropiada o un programa de permiso estatal. Uh, maestros y personal que realizan aprendizaje a distancia y operaciones esenciales. Deportes para estudiantes al aire libre, incluyendo el acondicionamiento y el desarrollo de habilidades. Y apoyo y servicios para grupos individuales o grupos estables de estudiantes de mayores necesidades, siempre que no exceda de 25% de estudiantes. 
Además, las escuelas pueden solicitar permiso para reabrir para el aprendizaje y servicios en persona para estudiantes de kinder de transición hasta el segundo grado. Se pueden aprobar 50 escuelas cada semana y se les da prioridad a las escuelas con altos porcentajes de estudiantes que califican para el programa de alimentos gratuitos o de precio reducido. Todas las escuelas que están abiertas deben implementar los protocolos de reapertura del Departamento de Salud Pública que define pautas de seguridad requeridas tales como las prácticas mejoradas de limpieza y el control de infecciones el distanciamiento físico, uso de cubiertas de tela para la cara y grupos estables pequeños. El personal del Departamento de Salud Pública a, a, a diario visita todas las escuelas que han reabierto para garantizar que se cumplan los protocolos uh, que se requieren para reapertura y brindar asistencia técnica. Estamos orgullosos de informar que más de la mitad, 54% de las escuelas cumplen plenamente con los protocolos de reapertura. El 84% de las escuelas son lo que consideramos tener un buen cumplimiento. Y esto significa que cumplen con más del 92% de los protocolos de reapertura. A partir del 9 de noviembre se han reabierto 1,571 escuelas para el aprendizaje y servicios en persona para estudiantes con mayores necesidades. El 12% de estas escuelas son escuelas privadas, el 15% son escuelas autónomas y el 73% son escuelas públicas. Más de 75,000 estudiantes y más de 30,000 empleados han regresado para recibir servicios y apoyo en persona. Como en cualquier otro sector que está abierto, dada la transmisión generalizada de COVID-19, habrán casos en los planteles escolares. Y aunque se han reportado alrededor de 150 casos entre estudiantes o personal que asiste a escuelas, eh, solo, ha habido, solo han habido 10 brotes asociados con las escuelas. Y en nueve de estos sitios, estos brotes afectaron a menos de cinco personas, principal, principalmente el personal. El único sitio con un brote más grande eh, fue relacionado con un equipo de deportes que viajó a Arizona a jugar en una competencia. Todas las escuelas son casos y brotes, perdón, todas las escuelas con casos y brotes están trabajando eh, cercanamente con el Departamento de Salud Pública para garantizar el manejo adecuado de la enfermedad y el rastreo de contactos. De acuerdo con las órdenes del oficial de salud, uh, las personas que dan positivo se aíslan de todas las demás personas al menos por 10 días y se requiere que los contactos cercanos se mantengan en cuarentena durante 14 días. El Departamento de Salud Pública ha recibido 238 solicitudes de permisos escolares para reabrir el aprendizaje en persona para el kinder de transición hasta el segundo grado. Se han recibido 151 solicitudes de escuelas privadas, 6 de escuelas autónomas y 81 uh, solicitudes de escuelas públicas. Hasta la fecha uh, se han aprobado permisos a 74 escuelas con 81, 81 en trámite para aprobación final. 
Les recordamos que una vez que se completa una solicitud, se necesitan de dos a tres semanas para obtener las aprobaciones finales a través de nuestro sistema y para poder consultar con el Estado. Uh, muchas gracias. And now, we'll, okay, we'll go ahead and take uh, questions in Spanish. Okay, and we do have a question from Luis Treto from Telemundo. Please go ahead. Eh, Jacqueline, por favor, si nos puedes hablar sobre lo que mencionaba la doctora Ferrer en referencia a las personas que planean viajar para el Día de Acción de Gracias. ¿Qué les están pidiendo si deben de, eh, someterse a una cuarentena y limitarse de actividades? Por favor, si nos puedes elaborar en eso. Sí, muchas gracias, Luis. Uh, lo que mencionó la doctora Ferrer anteriormente fue de que siempre lo más seguro va a ser no viajar. Si podemos quedarnos en casa, aunque es triste y aunque tal vez no es lo que queramos hacer, siempre lo más seguro va a ser mantenernos en casa. Si eh, estudiantes, por ejemplo, deciden que van a regresar a la casa de la universidad, por ejemplo, lo que sugerimos es, pues estamos trabajando con, con varias escuelas. Si se puede, que si van a regresar a casa, que se queden en casa y que terminen el año escolar ahí en casa en vez de regresar a la escuela. Uh, esto es para... Um, disminuir el riesgo para todos, no solo para cada individuo, pero para las comunidades también en donde están, estamos viendo, igual que en Los Ángeles, uh, más casos eh, y, y hospitalizaciones. Okay. So, thank you so much, and we'll go ahead and move on to remarks in Armenian. Շնորհակալություն վերահսկիչ բարգերեն եւ ամբողջ վերահսկիչ խորհրդին բարի օր բոլորին այսօր ես կսկսեմ թարմացնել ընթացիկ թվերի շրջանի մակարդակի հիմնական ցուցանիշների մասին որոնք նշում են մեր առաջընթացը դանդաղեցնելու covid 19 տարածումը Los Angeles շրջանում ես ուզում եմ ձեզ հետ կիսել որոշ տեղեկություններ հուլիսյան դեպքերի հոսպիտալացման եւ մահվան դեպքերի մասին եւ թե ինչպես է դա կարող տեղեկացնել դեպքերի ընթացիկ ալիքի մասին ես կեզրափակեմ դպրոցների վերաբացման վերաբերյալ նորություններ եւ մեր դպրոցներում անվտանգության ստեղծման աջակցելու ջանքերը ներկա իրավիճակի վերաբերյալ այսօր ցավով հայտնում ենք եւս 7 մահվան մասին Այս մարտկանցից երկուսը 80 տարեկանից բարձրեն, որոնցից մեկը ունեցել է ուղեկցող առողջական խնդիրներ։ Երկուսը 65 տարեկանից 79-ին, որոնցից երկուսը ունեցել են ուղեկցող առողջական խնդիրներ։ Մեկ անձի տարիքը 50-ից 64-ն է եւ չի ունեցել առողջական խնդիրներ։ Սա բերում է ընդհանուր մահերի թիվը 7221-ի Լոս Անջելոս շրջանում։ Ethnic պատկանելությունը հետեւյալն է 52% լատինո լատինեքս 23% սպիտակ 14% ասիական 10% աֆրոամերիկացիներ 1% բնիկ հավայան 1% այլ ռասա եւ էթնիկ խումբ Այսօր մենք հայտնում ենք 2533 նոր դեպքերի մասին Սա բերում է Los Angeles շրջանի դրական դեպքերի ընդհանուր թիվը 330450-ի։ Այս դեպքերը ներառում են Long Beach քաղաքում մեր գործընկերների կողմից գրանցված 13967 դեպքեր, իսկ Pasadena քաղաքի կողմից գրանցված 3008 դեպքեր։ 
Սավովենքայտնում, որ 262 դեպք նահանգային բանտերում, 193 բանտարկյալ և 69 աշխատակազմ, 760 դեպք վեդրալ բանտերում, 743 բանտարկյալ և 17 աշխատակազմ, 177 դեպք անչապահասների հաստատություններում, 83 բանտարկյալ և 94 աշխատակազմ։ Եվ լոսանժեր շրջանի արձանագրված բոլոր դեպքերի զեկույցը կարող եք տեսնել առողջապայության վարջության կայքում publichealth.elecani.gov։ Ավելի կան երեկ ամբողջ երեկ միլոն մարդ տեստավորվել են և արդյունքները � Նահանգը թարմեցնում է լոս անջելոր շրջանի ներկայիս կարգավիճակը։ Ավելի անվտանք տնտեսության մակարդակի նախագծի շրջանակներում։ Այս շրջանակը կոմսությունները դնում է չորս աստիճանից մեկում, կախված ճանապարին առաջնթացի համար մատչելի տարբերակները, կանի որ պետությունը հստակ սահմանում է, թե յուրականչուր մակարդակում ինչ գործողություններ են թուլատրվում։ լոս անջելուր շրջանի տվյալները շարնակում են ավարդված շապատվա ընթացքում։ Մեր ճշկրծված դեպքերի մակարդակը փոքրինչ աջել է նախորդ շապատվա համեմատ և այժմ կազմում է 7 համբողջ 6 նոր դեպքեր ամեն 100 հազար մարդու համար։ Մեր գործի տեմպը շարնակում է որը կազմում է երեկ ամբողջ ուտ տոքոս։ լոս անջելուր շրջանի ամինացած է ռեսուրսային տարացքներում 
մեր դրականության մակարտակը նախորդ շաբաթվա համեմատ փոքրինչ նվազել է 6.8%-ից դառնալով 6.5%։ Եվ մենք այս ցուցանիշի համար շարունակում ենք լինել թիեր 2-ի սահմաններում։ Որպես հիշեցում, նահանգը դնում է առավել սահմանափակ մակարդակում, երբ մեր բոլոր ցուցանիշները հավասարվեցված չեն։ Միայն մեկ մակարդակի, դժբախտաբար դեպքերի վերջին ալիքի հետևանքով մենք ակնկալում ենք հաջորդ մի քանի շապատվա ընթացքում մնալ առաջին դասում։ Չեմ կարծում, որ այստեղ է, որտեղ մեզանից որևը մեկը ակնկալում է, երբ աշունը և ձմերը մոտենում են։ Դա ոչ մեին այն է, որ մեր վերականգնան ճանապարը կանգե Վերանայելով այն չոշ չապանիշները, որոնք սերտորեն վերահսկում ենք, որպիսի հասկանան կովիտ-տասնինի հաղորդումը մեր համայնքում, մենքը կարողանանք տեսնել մեր վերջին գործողությունների ազդեցությունը կովի� Այս աճը համնքնում է մի շարկ ոլորդների վերաբացմանը, ինչպես նաև լոս անժոր շրջանի բնակիչների աճին, որոնք հայտնում են, որ իրենք մասնակցել են հավակույթներին և սերտ կապի մեջ են եղել իրենց տանից � 1464 տեպքեր, մենք ամիս առաջ հոգտեմբեր երեքին այդ թիվը 988 էր, պարզ ասած սա 33 տոքոսով ավելացել է մեր առորյա դեպքերը։ Մեր տեստի դրականությունը կամ կատարված տեստերի տոքոսը, որոնք դրական են վերադարնում, Նոյնբեր երեքին լոսանջերը շրջանի համար դրական դրույք կազմել է 4 ամբողջ 4 տոքոս, հոգտեմբերի երեքին 3 ամբողջ 6 տոքոսի համմատ։ Եվ կրկին նոյնբեր ամսվա առաջին շապատվա նախնական թվերը ծուց են տալիս � Ամենոր դեպքերի կանակը ավելացում է և տեստերի դրական տոքոսների աջը խորապես մտահոգի չէ և ավելի շատ անհանգստացնում։ Մենք շարունակում ենք վերահսկել հոսպիտալացման կովիտ տասնինով մարդկանց որեկան կայունացումից հետո հոսպիտալացումները այժմ աճում են։ Հոգտեմբերի երեքին միջին հաշվով 682 մարդ հոսպիտալացվելը կովիտ տասնինի հետ կապված հիվանդության համար։ Նենբերի երեքին հոսպիտալացվել են 813 մարդ։ Եվ այս անցած շապատվա ընթացքում մենք հաղորդել ենք մի քանի որվա ընթացքում ավելի կան 900 հոսպիտալացումներ։ Մահվան որեկան թիվը։ 
մենք շարունակում ենք արցանագրել COVID-19 ամենորյա մահացության դեպքերի նվազում։ Նոյնբերի երկուսին մահվան միջին որեկան թիվը տասներ։ Ինչը ամենացած էր թիվն է, որ մենք տեսել ենք համաճարակի հենց առաջին որերից իվեր։ Մահացության շարունակական նվազումը ամենային հավանականությամբ մասամ պայմանավորված է կովիտ տասնինով ծանր հիվանդ ունեցող մարդկանց բուժման բարելավմամբ։ կսկսեն աչել նաև առաջիկա շապատների ընթացքում։ Համաճարակին անդրադարնալու ամիսների փորձ ունենալով, մենք կարող ենք նայել ոչ վաղ անձյալը ավելի լավ հասկանալու համար, թե ինչ կարող է ագնկալել տեսնել Այն ժամանակ դեր չենք հասկանում, որ հաջորդ ամսվա ընթացքում դեպքերի կտրուկ աչի սկիզբ կլինի։ 21 որ անց հունիսի 18-ին հոսպիտալացումները սկսեցին աչել։ Դրանից 12 որ անց մենք սկսեցինք մահվան դեպքերի աչ Հունիսի վերջին հուլիսի կեսերի ձերնարկությունների գործնեության դանդաղեցումից հետո դեպքերը կայնանում անգում ապրեցին և սեպտեմբերի տասին հասան ամենացացր մակարդակին։ Այն տևեց լրացուցիչ երեկ շապատ, որպիսի տեսնե որ մենք ամենային հավանականությամբ դրևս չենք տեսել ալիքի լրիվ հետևանքները այն դեպքերին, որոնք մենք ունեցել ենք վերջերս և չնայած մենք տպավորիչ հաջողություններ ենք զգացել վերուսով հիվան մարդկանց խնամքի � Այն է, որ մենք կարող ենք դա շրջել այնպես, որ վերադարնանք տարացման դանդաղացմանը։ Որպիսի խուսապենք հիվանդության և մահվան մակարդակի ավելացումից, մեր առողջապահական համակարկը շեշտադրումներից Եթե հավակականորեն չկարողանան կանգնեսնել նոր դեպքերի առագացումը մեզ այլ բան չի մնում, կան լրացուցիչ գործողություններ դիտարկել։ Ողջ երկրում ընտրված պաշտոնյաները և հանրային առողջապահության Մենք կանախկինում եղել ենք այն տեղ, ընդհամենը չորս ամիս առաջ։ Եվ կրտնաջան աշխատել ենք, որպիսի վերադարձնենք մի տեղ, որտեղ մեր առողջությունը պաշպանված է և վերականգնման ճանապարը կարող է շարունակվել։ Մ 
երբ դու գտնվում եք դրսում եւ շրջապատի կողքին միշտ հակեք դեմքի ծածկոց եւ պահեք առնվազը 6 ոտնաչափ ֆիզիկական հերավորություն այն մարդկանցից ովքեր ձեզ հետ չեն ապրում խուսափեք բազմությունից եւ մեծ հավաքույտներից եթե հիվանդեք մնացեք տանը եւ հերու մնացեք այն մարդկանցից ովքեր ավելի մեծ ռիսկ են ընդհարվում ծանր հիվանդանալով կովիդ 19-ով ստուգվեք կովիդ 19-ի համար եթե ունեք ախտանիշներ եթե դրական արդյունք է ջերմությունը եւ ախտանիշները իջեցնելուց հետո մեկ ուսացեք 10 օր եթե դուք եղել եք դրական տեստ ունեցող մեկի հետ շփման մեջ կամ եղել եք ամբոխի մեջ կամ հավաքվել եք այնտեղ որտեղ հնարավոր է որ ենթարկվել եք ապա կարանտին անցկացրեք 14 օրվա ընթացքում մենք տեսել ենք օրեկան երբ փորձարկումը երբ չի ուղեկցվում հիմնական հասարակական գործողություններով չի խանգարում մարդկանց վիրուսը փոխանցել եւ ձեռք բերել սա հատկապես կարևոր կլինի քանի որ մենք նախատեսնում ենք նշել շնորհակալության տոնը դուք կարող եք հյուրընկալել կամ ներկալինել հավաքույտներին եւս երկու տնային անդամների հետ քանի դեռ դրսում եք հերավորություն եք պահպանում իսկ երբ չեք ուտում կամ խմում դեմքը ծածկում եք եթե դուք մեկնում եք նահանգից կամ շրջանից խնդրում ենք ուշադրություն դարձնել այն բազմաթիվ սահմանափակումներին որոնք այլ նահանգներն ու շրջանները մցրել են փոխանցումը սահմանափակելու համար հանրային առողջապահությունը խորհուրդ է տալիս նրանց ովքեր շրջանից դուրս են ճանապարհորդում կատարեն կարանտին 14 օրվա ընթացքում ամիջապես վերադարձից հետո սրանցից ոչ մեկը դյուրին չէ այն ու ամենայնիվ այդ ամենը հնարավոր է այս զոհաբերությունները օգնում են մեզ մեր երեխաներին վերադարձնել դպրոց եւ բաց պահել բիզնեսները ինչպես հիշում եք շրջանի բոլոր դպրոցները ունակ են բացել իրենց դռները հետեւյալի համար երեխաների խնամքը համապատասխան պետական լիցենզայով ուսուցիչներն ու անznakazma ովքեր իրականացնում են հեռավոր ուսուցում եւ իրականացնում են էական գործողություններ երիտասարդական սպորտ հմտությունների զարգացման համար աջակցություն եւ ծառայությունների բարձր կարիք ունեցող ուսանողների անհատական համախմբված խմբերի համար բոլոր դեպքերն ու բռնկումներ ունեցող դպրոցները սերտորեն համագործակցում են հասարակության առողջապահության հետ ապահովելու հիվանդության պատշաճ կառավարում եւ կապի հետագծում առողջապահության սպայի հրամանները համապատասխան դրական տեստով մարդիկ մեկուսացված են բոլորից առնվազը 10 օրվա ընթացքում եւ կարանտինը անհրաժեշտ է սերտ կապերի 14 օրվա ընթացքում բացի այդ հանրային առողջապահության կողմից ստացվել է 238 դպրոցից դիմում քեից երկրորդ դասարանների համար տեղում ուսումը վերաբացելու մասնավոր դպրոցներից ստացվել է 151 դիմում կանադրական դպրոցներից ստացվել են 6 դիմում իսկ հանրակրթական դպրոցներից ստացվել է 81 հայտ միջև օրս 74 դպրոցների համար հաստատումներ են տվել 81-ը վերջնական հաստատման համար 
որպես հիշեցում դիմումները ավարտելուց հետո մի համակարգի միջոցով վերջնական հաստատումներ ստանալու եւ պետության հետ խորթակցելու համար տևում է 2-3 շաբաթ շնորհակալություն thank you now the remarks in korean Anyasimnika, Monja Daily Report to Balsam Dirigesmida. Uno Yugam Srobgedo, Ilgum Myonge Samangjarel Bokohage Dyosmida. Tumyongun Pashipse Isang Yoko, Ijuhamyongun Kijojirani Sosmida. Tumyongun Yukshibose Chiship Kuses Hayoko, Modu Kijojirani Sosmida. Hamyongun Ushibeso Yukship Sases Hayoko, Idil Modu Kijojirani Opsosmida. Longbichishi Tumyonge Samangjaegana Neongun. 롱비치다 GOB 웹사이트에서 보실 수 있습니다. 오늘 보고된 다섯 명의 사망자 중에서 한 명은 간호 전문 간호 시설에 살고 있었습니다. 이로써 로스앤젤레스 카운티에서의 총 사망자 수는 7,221명입니다. 인종과 민족성이 알려진 6,810명의 사망자 가운데 52%는 라틴 계열, 23%는 백인, 14%는 동양인, 10%는 흑인 1% 미만은 하와이 혹은 태평양섬 원주민, 1%는 기타 인종이었습니다. 오늘 2,533개의 새로운 케이스가 보고되었습니다. 이로써 LA 카운티에서의 총 케이스 수는 33만 450개입니다. 이 케이스 수는 롱비치시에서의 13,967개, 파사디나시에서 3,008개를 포함한 수치입니다. 노숙자들 가운데서는 2,146명이 확진 케이스가 있었습니다. 현재 953명이 코비드19로 병원에 입원 중이며 28%는 중환자실에 있고 14%는 인공호흡기에 의존해 있습니다. 지금까지 하나 이상의 확진 케이스가 나온 2,316개의 거주시설과 비거주시설을 조사하였는데 현재 433 개는 조사 중이고 1882개는 조사를 마친 상태입니다. 시설 환경에서의 총 확진 케이스 수는 39173개 있고 이 수는 거주자 19336명과 일하는 스텝 19837명을 포함한 수치입니다. 시설에서 코비드19로 사망한 사람들의 수는 3,072명이며 이 중에서 2,719명은 전문 간호시설에서 거주하시던 분들입니다. 감옥에서는 4,010명의 확진 케이스가 있었고 3,498명은 수감자들, 512명은 일하는 스텝 중에 있었습니다. 현재까지 330만 명이 LA 카운티에서 테스트를 받았으며 확진률은 9%였습니다. LA 카운티는 계속해서 1단계에 머물러 있는데 10월 30일로 끝나는 그 주간의 데이터를 사용하여 수치를 계산하였습니다. 케이스류는 지난주보다 약간 오른 10만 명당 7.6입니다. 확진률은 3.8%로 여전히 3단계에 준하는 수치입니다. LA 카운티에서 가장 낮은 리소스 지역에 사는 사람들의 확진률은 6.8%로 6.8%에서 6.5%로 약간 내려갔고 여전히 2단계에 해당하는 수치입니다. 안타깝게도 최근 케이스 수가 올라감으로 인해서 앞으로 몇 주간은 계속 1단계에 머물러 있을 것입니다. 11월 3일에 평균 1일 케이스 수는 1,464개였는데 그로부터 한달 전인 10월 3일에 그 수치는 
집계였습니다. 다시 말하면 11월 초부터 1, 2 케이스 수가 33%가 증가한 것입니다. 11월 3일에 LA 카운티의 확증률은 4.4%였는데 10월 3일과 비교해서는 3.6%였습니다. 오늘 테스트 확증률은 5.9%인 것을 볼때 11월 초부터 테스트 확증률이 증가하고 있음을 볼수 있습니다. 이를 케이스 수와 테스트 확증률이 올라간다는 것은 그만큼 커뮤니티 내에서의 확산이 증가하고 있다는 증거입니다. 10월 3일에 평균 코비드19 관련 병으로 입원한 사람들의 수는 682명이었는데 11월 3일에는 813명이 입원하였습니다. 9월 11일 이후로 평균 입원자 수가 800 위로는 안 되었었는데 지난주에는 그 수가 이미 900명이 넘었습니다. 코비드19로 인한 사망률은 계속 내려가고 있는데 11월 2일에 평균 1일 사망자 수는 10명이었습니다. 팬데믹 시작 이후로 가장 낮은 수치였습니다. 사망률이 계속해서 내려가는 이유는 치료 방법이 많이 개선되었다는 뜻일 수도 있고 또한 케이스 수와 병원 입원자 수가 올라간다는 것이 앞으로 수주 동안 사망률도 오를 수 있다는 뜻이 될수 있습니다. 5월 28일에 우리는 케이스 수가 증가하는 것을 보았고 그 후로 21일 후인 6월 18일에는 병원 입원자 수가 증가하였습니다. 그리고 또 12일 후에는 사망률이 증가하는 것을 보았습니다. 케이스 수와 입원자 수또 사망자 수 모두가 7월 중순에서 말까지 2주 안에 최고치에 달하였었습니다. 그러므로 사업체들이 6월 말에서 7월 중순까지 문을 닫고 나서 케이스 수도 계속 줄어들면서 9월 10일에는 제일 낮은 수치를 보였습니다. 그 후로 3주 후에는 입원자 수와 사망자 수도 제일 낮은 수치로 다시 내려가게 되었습니다. 어, 이러한 인포메이션은 최근에 케이스 수가 갑자기 올라간 것에 대한 결과가 어떠할지를 아직 보지는 않았지만 우리가 알수 있도록 도와줍니다. 또 중요한 것은 우리가 확산을 늦추기 위해서 할수 있는 일이 있다는 것입니다. 오늘 또 내일 또 다음 주에 우리가 하는 행동들이 카운티 내에서의 많은 또 아주 많은 사람들의 건강에 큰 영향을 미칠 수 있다는 것입니다. 우리가 밖에 있거나 다른 사람의 근처에 있을 때꼭천 얼굴 가리개를 쓰고 가족이 아닌 사람들과 6피트의 거리를 유지해야 합니다. 큰 물이나 큰 모임을 피하십시오. 아프다면 집에 머물러 있고 코비드19로부터 심각한 병에 걸릴 수 있는 사람들로부터 멀리 떨어져 있어야 합니다. 증상이 있다면 코비드19 테스트를 받으십시오. 양성 확진 결과를 받았다면 발열과 증상이 나아진 지 24시간 후 10일 동안 고립해야 합니다. 또한 양성인 사람과 밀접한 접촉이 있었거나 노출되었을 가능성이 있는 큰 무리 가운데 있었다면 14일 동안 격리해야 합니다. 자신과 사랑하는 사람들이 감염되는 것을 보호하기 위해 테스트에 의존하지 마십시오. 테스트를 받은 후에도 기본적인 공공행동을 따르지 않을 때 바이러스에 확산되는 것을 막을 수 없기 때문입니다. 특히 다가오는 땡스기빙 공휴일을 기념할 때 우리는 잘 계획하는 것이 중요합니다. 야외에서 거리를 유지하면서 먹거나 마시지 않을 때에는 얼굴 가리개를 사용한다면 다른 두 가구들과 모임을 마련하거나 만날 수 있습니다. 
만약 다른 주로 여행을 가게 된다면 그 주에서 확산을 막기 위해서 따르고 있는 여러 제안들의 주의를 기울이십시오. 보건국에서는 만약 다른 주로 여행을 하고 LA 카운티로 돌아온 사람들이 14일 동안 격리를 하도록 권장하고 있습니다. 이런 일들이 쉽지는 않지만 우리가 모두 할수 있는 일들입니다. 이러한 희생들은 우리의 자녀들이 다시 학교로 돌아가고 사업체들이 영업을 할수 있도록 도와주는 것일 것입니다. 마지막으로 학교에 대한 업데이트를 알려드리겠습니다. 기억하시다시피 카운티에 있는 모든 학교들은 다음 사항들을 위해서 학교 캠퍼스를 다시 열수 있습니다. 주정부 라이센스와 웨이버가 있는 육아시설, 원격 수업을 하고 기본 영업을 위해 선생님들과 스태프들, 야외에서 트레이닝하는 청소년 스포츠, 특수 필요가 있는 학생들과 그 그룹을 위한 서포트 서비스는 전체 학생 수의 25%가 넘지 않는 이상 할수 있습니다. 그에 더해서 TK에서 2학년까지 대면 수업을 위해서 웨이버 신청을 할수 있습니다. 매주 50개의 학교가 신청을 할수 있고 무료 급식을 받는 학생들이 많은 학생들에게 학생들이 있는 학교에게 우선권이 주어질 것입니다. 현재 54%의 학교들에서 영업 재개 프로토콜에 DPH 영업 재개 프로토콜에 적극 협조를 하고 있고 84%의 학교들이 비교적 협조적인데 이 뜻은 프로토콜의 92%를 따르고 있다는 뜻입니다. 11월 9일까지 1571개의 학교가 특수필요 학생을 위해서 대면 수업을 재개하였습니다. 이 중에 12%는 사립학교, 15%는 차로학교, 73%는 공립학교입니다. 이로써 17만 5천 명의 학생들과 3만 명의 스태프들이 대면 서비스와 서포트를 위해서 학교로 돌아왔습니다. 학교를 다니고 있는 학생들과 스태프들 중에 코비드19로 인해 150개의 양성 케이스가 있었는데 학교 내에서의 발병은 10군데에서 있었습니다. 이 중에 9군데에서는 발병이 5명 미만으로서 대부분이 스태프들 가운데 있었습니다. 더큰 발병이 있었던 한 군데는 아리조나로 경기를 위해서 여행을 하였던 스포츠팀과 관련이 된 것이었습니다. 보건 담당자의 명령에 따라서 양성 확진자는 10일간 고립되었고 밀접 접촉자들은 14일간 격리되었습니다. 그에 더해서 TK에서 2학년 중에 238개의 학교가 웨이버 신청서를 냈습니다. 151개는 사립학교, 6개는 차로학교, 81개는 공립학교였습니다. 지금까지 웨이버는 74개의 학교에 허가가 되었고 81개에서는 마지막 허가 단계에 있습니다. 감사합니다. Next, Alan Chang will brief in Mandarin. Thank you. 感谢多少委员把准女士和全体多少委员感谢你们在这个艰巨的时刻将大众的卫生和安全放在首位并在多方面和各个部门给予支持各位下午好感谢你们参加我们的新闻发布会今天我会为大家更新目前的相关数据及
。最后，我会为大家介绍现阶段学校重启的状况。每日简报，现在我会为大家更新每日数据。很不幸，我们又有七人因新冠病毒去世，其中两人是八十岁以上的长者，其中一人患有其他疾病。两人年龄介于六十五岁到七十九岁之间，两人都患有其他疾病。一人的年龄在于五介于五十到四十六十四岁之间，没有，该人没有其他疾病。长滩市有两例死亡病例，有关资料可以在长滩市的市所网站找到，啊查找。在这去世的五人中，不包括长滩市的两人，一人来自于首脸护理机构，这样落县总共死亡人数就达到了七千两百二十一人。因新冠病毒去世的人中有六千八百一十人的族裔背景已归类，归类结果如下：拉丁裔占百分之五十二，白人占百分之二十三，亚洲人占百分之十四，非裔占百分之十，夏威夷岛和太平洋群岛占的原住民占比例不足百分之一，还有百分之一属于其他族裔。今天我们的新天病例为两千五百。三十三例，这样洛杉矶县病例总共的病例总数上升到三十三万零四百五十人。这一数字包括长滩市的一万三千九百六十七人和帕萨迪纳市的三千零八人，两个城市都有自己的独立卫生部，有两千一百四十六例。来自于无家可归的人群。现有确诊新冠病毒患者的住院人数为九百五十三人，其中百分之二十八的人住在加护病房，有百分之十四的病人使用呼吸机。我们已对两千三百一十六个大型住宅和非住宅机构进行了调查，这些机构中至少有一个已知的新冠病毒患者。其中四百三十四个人在调查中，已有一千八百八十二个结束了调查。机构确诊病例的总数为三万九千一百七十三人，其中居民为一万九千三百三十六人，员工是一万九千八百三十七人。我们很沉痛，因新冠病毒去世人中有三千零七十二人来自一机构住所，其中。两千七百一十九人来自于首脸护理机构。所有的监禁场所总的确诊病例为四千零十人，其中三千四百九十八人为囚犯，五百一十二人为管教人员。加州监狱有两百二十六例，其中一百九十三人为囚犯。六十九人为管教人员，联邦监狱有七百六十例，其中七百四十三人为囚犯，十七人为管教人员。少年管教所有一百七十七人，其中八十三人为囚犯，另外的九十四人为管教人员。洛杉矶县也已经有超过三百三十万的居民进行了新冠病毒测试，并上报了测试结果，其中百分之九。的测试呈阳性。我再来跟大家说一下梯层现状，州政府的梯层分类
，州政府每周更新各县在安全经济南投上的状况和位置。该南投将各县分为四个梯层，其中使用标准是基于三个病毒与病毒传播相关的数据。落选在该梯层中所处的位置，决定了我们在经济恢复中所拥有的选项。州政府在每个梯层中都明确标示了相应的允许经济活动范围，该头标示了每个县进入下阶段的数据分界线。诺县所在的梯层的数据，诺县仍处于第一梯层及广泛传播层。十月三十一号这一星期的数据决定了我们现在的梯层。修正后的数据比上星期稍有增加。达到了每十万人中七点六人，这一这个一指标就是一直让我们停留在第一梯层的原因。我们现在成阳率为百分之三点八，该指标是以让我们进入足以让我们进入第三梯层。在诺县最贫困的地区，成阳率较上星期略有降低，从百分之六点八降到百分之六点五。这一指标指标让我们停留在梯层二。当不同的指标指向不同的梯层时，州政府按照最严格的指标划分。很不幸，由于最近病例上升，我们估计在接下来的几个星期内仍有停留在第一梯层。随着秋季和冬季的来临，我们所有人都不期待这一结果。这意味着，不仅仅我们的重启。之路停滞不前，而且还意味着随着感恩节和其他冬季节日到临，我们将面临艰难的选择。恢复数据，事发日病例的数据，我们通过紧密跟踪四组相关数据，可以监测 COVID-19 在社区的传播状况，从而可以了解我们所采取的行动所带来的影响。我们的数据显示，在过去七天发生病例的平均值，事发数据是基于病例测试日的日期或第一次显示症状的时间。这些数据可以看出，我们现在每日新增病例都是在呈上升趋势。这一上升日区正与最近重启的几个经济层面密切相关，与人们外出活动的增加、与家庭成员之外的人员的接触的增加。所有这些都让我们感，我们的感染风险也随之增加。十一月三号，每日平均新添病例是一千四百六十四人，而十一月三号及一个月以前这一数据为九百八十八，这就意味着百分之三十三的增加。自十一月以来，新添病例的增加的趋势没有显示任何全减缓的迹象。成阳率。陈阳林的数据显示，陈阳林在上升。在十一月三号，洛杉矶洛杉矶县的陈阳率为百分之四点四，而十一月三而十月三号这一数据为百分之三点六。十一月份的第一个星期显示陈阳率的格外增加，今天的陈阳率为百分之五点九。每天新增病例和陈阳率的上升给我们带来极大的麻烦。这一现象表明，社区传播增加的。印证每日住院病例
。我们一直跟踪每日新冠病例的住院人数，这样我们就可以了解新冠病例对我们医疗系统的影响和冲击，且可以追踪病例重病病例的人数。我们的资料显示，全县范围内每日新冠病例住院人数，在一段时间，在经过一段时间的稳定之后，现在住院人数开始上升。十月三号，平均每天住院的新冠病例人数为六百八十二人，到了十一月三号及一个月之后，这一数字上升到了八百一十三人。从九月十一号，我们都还没有看到过住院人数超过八百例的时候，而过去的这一星期。已经连续几天住院病例都超过了九百人。下面，每日死亡人数，每日死亡人数一直在降低。在十一月二号，每日平均死亡人数是十，这是自大流行开始以来最低的。每日死亡人数的降低归功于治疗新冠病毒的改善，同时，我们可以预见，随着新冠病例和新冠病例或住院人数的增加。在接下来的几个星期之内，死亡人数也可能会相应增加。我再给大家更新一下学校重启的状况。这些重启学校的对应仍然是学习比较困难的学生。学校的一些概况，大家知道，落选范围内可以。那以下学校可以重启校园：第一，拥有州政府执照或州政府豁免的幼儿执照中心、幼儿照顾中心；第二，进行远程教学的教师或员工；第三，在室外训练的青少年体育活动；第四，为特殊学生学童。提供支持或服务的团队，但人数不得超过学童的四分之一。另外，幼儿园到二年级可以申请教师授课的豁免，每星期可以批准不超过五十所学校的申请，而审核着重于学校中享受免费免费午餐的学生数量的所有进行校园授课的学校必须遵守相关的重启规定，包括强化清洁或消毒计划、保持社交距离的规定、配戴口口罩的规定。公共卫卫生局对所有已进行校园授课的学校进行了抽样调查，结果令人满意，其中超过一半，为百分之五十四完全遵守，百分之八十四良好遵守。总计有百分之九十二的合格或合格率。截止十一月九号，总共有一千五百七十一所学校为困难学生开启了校园授课，其中私立学校占百分之十二，特许学校占百分之十五，其余的百分之七十三为公立学校。超过七万五千名学生和超过三万名员工回到了校园生活。正如其他重启的行业会给带来新冠病毒的广泛传播，学校也不例外，也发生了类似情况。尽管重返学校的学生和员工中有百分之有一百五十例新增的病例，但爆爆发的例子只有十例，其中九例中感染的人数
不超过五人，主要是员工。大爆发的那一例是学校组织去了阿尔桑纳进行进行的体育比赛造成的。所有十所学校都与公共卫生局紧密配合，以便采取恰当的病毒管理及病例追踪。另外，公共卫生局收到了两百三十八件校园教学的豁免申请。幼儿教、幼儿教育到二年级，其中来自私立学校有一百五十一件，来自特许学校的有六件，其余的八十一件来自公立学校。到目前为止，已有七十四所学校获得了豁免申请的批准，另外还有八十一所学校等待最终审核批准。特别提醒的是，一旦豁免申请上交，需要。两到三个星期才能最终批准。That's concludes for today. Thank you. This episode of LA Public Health was produced by the Los Angeles County Department of Public Health. Our department is nationally accredited by the Public Health Accreditation Board and is committed to protecting and improving the health of over 10 million residents in Los Angeles County. For more information about DPH programs and services, visit publichealth.lacounty.gov and follow us on social media at LA Public Health. My name is Steve Baldwin, and you've been listening to the LA Public Health Podcast.